from the Medical Republic, I'm Holly Payne and this is The Tea Room. As the dust settles from the May election, the real work begins. We've got a brand new team looking after the health portfolio in Canberra and it's a pretty extensive team at that. We're lucky enough to welcome the federal member for Cooper, Jed Carney, to the pod today. And Jed is the newly minted Assistant Minister for Health and Aged Care. Before entering politics in 2018, Jed was a nurse and she was also heavily involved in the trade union movement. Jed, hello. Hello, Holly. Thank you for having me today. Thanks for coming on. No, it's my pleasure. So the team looking after the health portfolio is it's quite large. So you're one of five. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell me more about your role as part of that broader team? Sure. Well, the team is wonderful. We've got Mark Butler, who's overseeing the whole team. So he's the Senior Minister responsible for Health and Aged Care. We have um, Annika Wells, who's the Minister specifically for Aged Care, because I'm sure your listeners and readers would know that aged care was a big priority in the election for Labor, and there's a lot of work to be done there. We have Emma McBride, who'll be looking after rural, regional health and mental health care, another area that needs a lot of attention. And the amazing Melandiri McCarthy, a wonderful First Nations woman who'll be um, Assistant Minister for um, Indigenous Health. So we're a big team. My job will be to help the Minister Mark with the health aspect of the portfolio, but also to assist Annika Wells with aged care, which is a huge body of work going forward. My particular interests, luckily, will be an area that the Minister and I have agreed that I can work you know, focus on, I guess, is the um, the term. In the first instance, I'll be looking after some of the health regulatory bodies, which is might sound a bit boring, but actually it's absolutely fascinating. For example, the food standards body that looks after food standards right around the country, and that includes rather topical things like labelling and uh, what we consider uh, genetically modified foods. And so it's quite an interesting body, the organ tissue authority, the gene technology regulator. There's quite some um, Office of Drug Control. So it's quite interesting, really. The Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Agency. Uh, So this is These will be some of the bodies that I'll be working with. But in the broader health portfolio, I'm really interested, Holly, in helping Mark, I guess, boost up the primary healthcare sector. And by that, we mean uh, the sector where general practitioners work, nurse practitioners, preventative health teams work to try to keep people out of hospitals, which nobody wants to go to hospital. Everybody wants to stay healthy and cared for in their community. And so that's going to be a big focus for us. That is, I'm sure, music to a lot of people's ears. Yeah. So obviously you were a nurse and you also were really involved with trade union movements. So how's that going to inform your work going forward? Well, I was a nurse for nearly 20 years, not quite, but I worked in a very large acute public hospital on a gastrointestinal ward looking after people who'd had bowel surgery and stomach surgery and everything from the throat to the anus. Now I know I can (laughs) say that to your readers because they are medically oriented. (laughs) Um, So surgery related to that area. But not only that, I've I've had experience in the aged care sector, the interface with the university sector, because I was heavily involved in educating new nurses. So You know, my experience as a nurse, I think, has really played out well for me in this role as an Assistant Minister for the Health and Aged Care. 
I also was heavily involved in the trade union movement, as you say. So I have excellent networks. I was head of the nurses union for many years. And then I was president of the Australian Council of Trade Unions. And of course, an important huge body of work that needs to be done going forward is how we are going to attract and retain a highly skilled and well looked after workforce. You know, we're desperate for people to work in aged care. There's, you know, with the ageing of the population, we think there's going to be thousands of aged care workers and nurses needed in that sector. Nurses are burnt out and tired from the pandemics as well as doctors and allied health professionals. So there's a huge body of work to be done around the workforce. So my experience with the unions, I think, is going to come in very handy there, very handy indeed. And just, and you know, just your skills as a health professional, you're good at listening, you're good at reading the room, you're good at doing quick assessments, you're good at communicating. I think there's a lot of really great skills you get as a health professional that we could do with a few more in the political system, in my view. Yeah, well, we were lucky enough to get a bumper crop of healthcare workers being elected. And, you know, I'm a McBride, obviously, as well, community yeah. pharmacist. Um, yeah. So it's it's great to see that. And yeah, hopefully as well, you know, there's that sort of, at least that sort of sense of caring for the people who are caring as well. I think everyone's feeling quite a bit burnt out after, mm-hmm. um, you know, continuous years of pandemic. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Yep. We have the wonderful Dr. Mike Freelander also. We have Helen Haynes on the crossbench and now Monique Ryan, who's also both health professionals. So, yeah, you know, I, I it really, I think, is going to be a different type of parliament with uh, people with real community caring focus. So it's it's... It's exciting. It sure is. And we've spoken quite a bit about aged care mm-hmm. and addressing workforce issues there. So what are you guys kind of looking towards? Well, first and foremost, with aged care, the pay rise for our aged care workers is an important focus. And you might know that there is an important case before the Fair Work Commission right now that is looking at giving aged care workers a pay rise. And they're, they're paid appallingly. And it's very difficult to retain them, particularly through the pandemic. And, you know, it might seem a bit basic, but honestly, you you pay people well and you give them good working conditions, they're more likely to stay and work in the sector. So that's certainly the first thing that we're we're doing, like immediately straight off the ground. And then uh, longer term, of course, we're going to introduce minimum staffing levels so that there's aged care providers will have to employ a minimum number of of staff, you know, a floor, by that I mean a floor below which they can't drop. So we think that once that's introduced, not only will the residents in aged care get better care because there'll be more people caring for them, workloads will drop and people's working conditions will improve. Having nurses 24-7 in nursing homes, I think, will also give a lot better care and take some of the pressure off the personal care workers who may have been asked to work beyond their scope of practice, which is very stressful. So there's a, there's a huge body of work to be done in aged care, but workforce is really important. Mm. So workforce is the big one. And of course, general practice does have a bit of a workforce issue as well. Yep. Are there any plans specifically for general practice yet? Most definitely. Great. Most definitely. This is a huge part of what I know Mark Butler is very keen to look at in primary care, primary health care, is boosting our general practice workforce and access to general practice. There's a couple of things. We did announce uh, the urgent care clinics announcement pre-election, which we will be implementing as soon as we can 
And this is really to take some pressure off our EDs, but also to our emergency departments, that is, but also to resource up our general practitioners on the ground so that they can adequately help people who uh, have you know, not not so serious urgent needs that might be broken bones or allergic reactions or things that general practice we know can deal with, but that people at the moment are presenting to ED simply because they can't access a GP. So extra resources will be going in there. We are very seriously looking at helping out a metropolitan rural and regional general practice. There's a number of measures that we're looking at there. We're working very closely with the sector and the colleges to see how we can recruit graduates to the primary healthcare sector. I think that's going to be really important, that pipeline. We've got, I think we've got record low numbers of graduates going into that area so so that we need to look at measures that will really attract them and, and keep them in the sector and there's lots of things we can do for rural and regional areas and and those outer metro areas in particular. So yes, there'll be a lot happening there for sure. And you've also been very vocal about refugee rights. And I was keen to hear from your perspective how humane asylum seeker policy intersects with health. Oh, absolutely. Because as you would know, it's very difficult for refugees and asylum seekers who don't have permanent residency or permanent protection to access healthcare. In the first instance, we have a policy and we're working through that now with the sector where we want people who are on temporary protection visas and have been some of them for 15 years I mean it's crazy stuff and on what we call chevs another form of temporary visa to be given permanent residency as quickly as we possibly can there's a huge workload caseload I should say in of that group of people and and that of course will give them access to Medicare and all the regular health care needs and um, certainly for people seeking asylum we need to boost up those health care services so Andrew Giles is the Immigration Minister. I know that he's working, you know, really, really fast beneath the service to see how, working with the sector to see how we can really get that going, get our skates on and get that improve, improve. But you do bring up an important issue when that is primary healthcare generally, but preventative healthcare as well for a lot of marginalised and, and minority groups. I'm interested in healthcare for, you know, cold groups for our migrant communities Uh, for our LGBTIQ communities, for for people who for various reasons find it difficult to access or have really serious barriers in accessing the healthcare system, particularly the primary healthcare system. So that's an area, Holly, that I am really, really interested in and where I'm going to be doing a lot of work with those communities. We've already started thinking about that and I've had a lot of briefs and I've had many meetings and I plan to really connect in with that uh, those sectors as well as best I can to see we ha- how we can be improve primary health care for a lot of people. Uh, I don't like to say on the margins because that's not the right term, but people, small groups of people who might face serious barriers, including asylum seekers. That's really great to hear. Yep, we've started that straight away. I'm really excited about that. Uh, another area that I'm very interested in is women's health. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I have been particularly concerned about from way back when I was a nurse. There are really big differences in how healthcare is delivered between the sexes and genders, and this is something that I really want to look at. The bias in the health system, you might say it's hidden, but unfortunately it's absolutely writ large right before our very noses. It, we know that it takes women 
about eight times longer to be diagnosed with with some conditions. We know they're twice as likely to die post-heart attack six months later than men. We know that there's stacks of research to say that when women present with pain, it's often dismissed crazy things and we know that they that research into medical trials that proper representation is critical because a lot of women are over medicated because our medical trials and our medical products are often conducted in patients assigned as males at birth so you know Hmm. there are big problems in the health system around this that I'm really keen to explore and look at simple things like uh, hip prostheses we know are often designed for men and just scaled down for women Mm. and we know women's (laughs) pelvises are quite different so women are more likely to have a rejection issue with hip prostheses because they're not really designed to fit their their bodies we do know that there are some good changes taking place now around this issue but these are the things that I really want to have a good hard look at and see if we can fix it that's really interesting it is very interesting you know asking questions, are we over-medicating women because of the way drug trials are done? Are enough research grants given to look at women's health issues? What about medical devices? You know, is, are there enough devices particularly designed to help women and their health issues? So menopause, crikey, menopause is a huge issue um, that often women just get told, oh, you know, you're just going through the change, put up with these things. But we know there are really serious health issues that can arise from menopause that are often just swept under the carpet. So hmm, there's lots of issues, lots of areas that I'd like to have a really good look at. How do you start to address those things? Yeah, that's a very good question. We're having some conversations at the moment about perhaps having a um, a deep dive into this. I'm talking to the department about how best to do that. But in the first instance, gathering our best medical professionals, our best experts in this area, getting them together and just saying, how do we do a deep dive into the differences between the sexes and gender bias in the in the health system? So starting at the top, getting everybody that I know cares about this, and there's a lot of people out there that do care about this, um, to sit around a table and design perhaps an inquiry or a deep dive into this. We're having um, discussions about that right now. So there you go. You're the first person I've told that to. <laughs> Very exciting. Thanks so much. And uh, those were all my questions. Anything else you'd like to add or that I missed? Um, no, I, I think I've, you know, covered everything. Um, you know, we've only been here a month. <laughs> so we're just, in fact, as I'm speaking to you, I'm sitting amongst boxes and um, all sorts of things because I haven't really unpacked my office yet. We're still employing people and, and really getting everything set up. So We want to do this properly, we want to do it carefully and we're not going to really jump at anything quickly. We want to make sure that this all goes very smoothly. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Jed, thank you. That was Assistant Minister for Health and Aged Care, Jed Carney. You've been listening to The Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. And if you have any news or tips or want to chat, you can email me at holly at medicalrepublic.com.au.